The following program is paid for by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Finance of America Mortgage, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS 1071, AZBK 0910184. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Absolute Mortgage. Visit absoluteloans.com or call 888-90-HOMES for cost information. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell, sponsored by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Finance of America Mortgage. Now in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome to The Money Hour on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, June 18th show. I am your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, bringing expert advice and inside knowledge on today's events in our local economy and how it's going to affect your money. If you're hearing my show at a different time, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but I'm here to answer any questions or connect you with the guests that I have in studio today. Please call the show at 1-855-411-50. Again, that's 1-855-411-50 or online at themoneyhour.com. And the lineup for today's show, I have in studio all regular contributors. They've all visited me uh, in studio before. First guest is Matthew Gardner, Chief Economist with Windermere Services. Um, Very privileged to have him uh, in studio to talk with you guys today. We're going to be talking about housing affordability and general real estate. Also in studio, Deborah Trapin, owner of D11 Consulting. Great conversation we'll have with Deborah today about goals, visions, dreams, intentions, resolutions, objective, and aspirations. How personal development and uncovering your purpose, it all ties together. And last guest in studio, Kathy Moreau with Remax Performance Plus. More on today's real estate market and the local market and what's uh, happening. Great information and great guests in studio. For more information on any topics discussed, please call the show at 1 855 Again, that's 1 855 411 or online at themoneyhour.com. And let's start at the show today with a little money chat. Money. Money. Moving forward with the closing, once you have a closing date, things can move a little bit quickly out in the market. So having some tips, this is for my uh, realtor listeners and as well as my buyers out there buying property. There are potential issues that can come up. It can delay things and things that can actually be addressed up front instead of waiting until they come up during the closing process. And this is related to possible property issues that may arise. So I want to list a few of them here for you today during my money chat. Unpermitted additions to the home. These can be acceptable on a case-by-case basis. So the appraiser must report improvements uh, do not represent any health or safety issues. So if it does, you're going to have an issue. So address that up front. Uh, Demonstrate that the improvements are typical for the area by providing three comparable properties that have the same uh, illegal, because it's illegal because it's not permitted. um, And that's common in the area. So that can be a challenging one. So you really need to look and make sure um, that you've got those comparables. Otherwise, you're going to have to get that uh, addition permitted. So this can be a problem that could cause an issue with your financing. Uh, the closing happening. Uh, it must be on one unit properties only. So if you have multifamily properties that have additions, um, unpermitted additions, uh, you're going to run into challenges there. So second thing I'd like to talk about uh, is property location on a private on private roads. So uh, two options. You can get the appraiser to find comps to show that there are other properties that are on private roads and do not have a recorded agreement. And the appraiser must also uh, need to state that this is common for the area and does not affect the marketability. 
or you're going to have to make sure that you do have a recorded private road maintenance agreement. So that would be required. Um, Everybody that has access to that road is going to have to sign the agreement and it's going to have to address all of the requirements uh, that are necessary for that. Uh, Appliance missing, missing. Uh, in the home properties without a full kitchen, working sink, stove cabinets are not eligible. So you need to make sure that that's completed before the appraiser uh, gets out to the property. Rapid appreciation. So properties with improvements made within the last 12 months, previous 12 months. So that's what they're considering uh, rapid appreciation is over a 12-month period. Um, exceptions on this can uh, happen as well on a case-by-case, as long as it's non-arm's length transactions are not allowed. So that would be a buyer and seller that are related. So you would have an issue there if you uh, were trying to close with rapid appreciation. And then you need to verify that the seller and owner of record are one and the same. Seller provide documentation to support the increase in value. So you're going to get all of the documentation to show all of the work that's been on the home. If there hasn't been work that's been done on the home to um, show of the why that property has increased in value, that's going to be an issue. So there has to be a reason why there was that rapid appreciation. Uh, water heaters must be double-strapped. And this is just, I see this a, a lot not understanding up front and what can happen it's not a big issue you just go out there and double strap the water heater but the problem is is you're on a time crunch because you have these short closing dates so you want to make sure that you're not delaying things because what's going to happen you're going to have to double strap that water heater then the appraiser is going to have another order is going to have to be submitted for the appraiser to go back out to the property and the appraisers are really busy right now so you don't want to have to lose a week in the closing process trying to get the appraiser back out there to verify that it's actually been done here's another one similar co detector same thing as long as you know up front that they must be installed on all floors, not sitting on the floor, but actually installed on all floors. Again, if they're not installed, the appraiser is going to have to go out and verify that they've been installed. Pictures have to be taken, and it's just a delay in the closing process, which is what you do not want. Um, the I want to go back to the rapid appreciation or property flipping. Now, uh, conventional, there's no limit on property flipping. FHA, it is 90 days. And the date uh, is based on the seller acquisition, the date legal uh, ownership of the property. A new appraisal is always required um, for a what would be considered under a property flip. Now, exception, exception to the 90-day for an FHA or HUD uh, property, purchased by an employer or relocation agency in connection with the employee, that's okay. So then you, you don't have to wait that 90-day for on, an, uh, on a purchaser that's utilizing an FHA loan. Resale by HUD under its REO program. That's acceptable. They are their homes. <laughs> and uh, sales of properties of nonprofit, a purchase, nonprofits approved to purchase HUD properties. Uh, next would be sale of properties acquired by the seller by an inheritance. That's an exception. And last would be uh, sales of properties uh, by state and federal chartered financial institutions. Uh, now, you're going to need to provide documentation to support, again, increase in value. And again, uh, non-arms length transactions are not allowed. Again, that's buyer and sellers that are related. So that's uh, my money chat today. Some just things to look out for and any tips that you need on the closing process. That's the biggest challenge uh, right now is issues that come up uh, during the closing process because of the short timeline. So uh, feel free to reach out to the show. Uh, go online to themoneyhour.com or you can always call at one 855 and say you just want to take a chat with me. Uh, coming up next on the Money Hour... How the housing affordability and general real estate. We're going to be talking with Matthew Gardner, Chief Economist with Windermere Services, right here at 1150 AM KKNW after this short break.
Hi, I'm Minnie Driver, and I'm here to share some important information about ovarian cancer. Although it's more common in older women, ovarian cancer can affect women of all ages, even in their 20s. There is no early detection test, and symptoms can be subtle. But even though you can't see it, you can take steps to get ahead of it by knowing your risk factors, such as family history of cancer and presence of gene mutations like BRCA. So talk to your family and talk to your doctor. Knowing this information will help you take control of your health and be more aware of the vague signs that could indicate ovarian cancer. We're learning more every day, and we will continue our collaborative research for diagnosing and treating this devastating disease. Be proactive. Know your risk factors, and the sooner the better. Just because you can't see ovarian cancer doesn't mean it's not there. To learn more about the symptoms, risk factors, and research, go to su2c.org slash ovarian. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell. Sponsored by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Pinnacle Capital Mortgage Corporation. Now, in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, June 18th show. It's a great day to talk all about money. That's what the show is about and why I'm here and why the guests here are in studio today, how to make money, save money, and build a better quality of life for you and your family. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast, but you can call the show at one 855 1150 Again, that's one 855 1150 or online at And right now in studio, we're going to have a conversation with Matthew Gardner, Chief Economist for Windermere Services. Uh, We're talking about housing affordability and general real estate. Matthew, thank you so much for coming back in studio. I know you're a really busy guy, and it's just always a pleasure to have an expert of your caliber right here uh, sitting across the, uh, the table from me. So thank you. You're welcome, Tina. Good to be here again. A little background about Matthew. Uh, he is with Windermere Services as chief economist for Windermere Services Company. Matthew is responsible for analyzing and interpreting economic data and its impact on the real estate market in both the local and national level. He has over 20 years, 25 years of professional experience, both in the U.S. and the U.K. Matthew chairs the Board of Trustee at the Washington Center of Real Estate Research in the University of Washington, sits on the Urban Land Institute's Technical Assistance Panel, is an advisory board member for the Rundstad Center for Real Estate Studies at the University of Washington, where he also lectures in real estate forecasting. So talking about the housing affordability in general, uh, real estate, uh, Matthew, can you explain to my listeners how to define the housing affordability? Well, affordability, it, it, you look at it several different ways, which is actually what makes it kind of interesting. Um, the easiest way to look at it is take the, let's say, the median home price and median income, divide one by the other. That gives you a number. And obviously, the, the higher the number, the less affordable a market is. So, for example, in King County, it's about 5.7, which basically means we are very unaffordable. Mm-hmm. Yet that's kind of an, an arbitrary way to look at it. I think there's lots of other, and I think better ways and better matrices to look at it. National Association of Realtors always uh-huh. uh, come out with their own index, and it's an index number. Above 100, you're affordable. Below, you're not. Uh, and by their, the way they calculate it, we are. Now, you can argue that depending on, on which market you're in. I actually prefer the Home Builders uh, Index. 
that actually says what percentage of households in a market can actually afford a median priced home mm. uh, and a home sold during that period. Uh, and for the US, it's about 65%. So across the country, it's great. Not so good if you talk about our local area here, where it's about 50%. Now that's uh. in line with the 10-year trend, but you have to remember that interest rates now are a lot lower than they were. So as they start moving up, which I believe they will, it'll become tougher and tougher and more expensive, and we will become ultimately more unaffordable. Yes. Um, there, are, there are great markets. If you want to live in Illinois or West Virginia, mm -hmm. uh, remarkably affordable. Uh, if you want to live in California, pretty much most of it. No, you're not. Yes, so yes. It so it's not so, not so bad here when we look at the affordability. Compare us, yeah. yeah. If you were to look at, let's say, San Francisco, um, about 10.5% of households can afford a medium-priced house. Wow, that is crazy. That's one in 10. It's a remarkably low number. And I think that's going to cause some problems down the road. Yes. Um, but I think when you think things in the bigger picture, what keeps me up at night really is is housing affordability. Yeah, we got to that point where where we've moved dramatically in terms of upward pressure on pricing. That's causing a lot of angst for buyers out there. Certainly, yes. I'm sure we'll be talking about that a bit later on. Um, but affordability is a problem, and you tend to find it drops down in markets which have certain barriers to them, both natural as well as political. Here, of course, in the Puget Sound, it's great. We have lots of mountains, lots of water. Well, that limits your land supply. So yes. limit supply, have new demand, prices go up. And then, of course, we also have political uh, constraints as well in growth boundaries, where you can, where you cannot build. Those things in concert make it uh, an expensive market. And so certainly that's something I think we need to start addressing uh, mm -hmm. as we go forward in time, because at some point or another, I don't want this market to become unaffordable for everybody. Yes. So, Matthew, when you talk about, because that's a shocking um, in the um, uh, the California market at, at a 10 percent, how does how do their properties continue to appreciate when they have 10 percent that are able to afford housing? Few, very, very high paid jobs. So you go, you go to yeah, Santa Clara, wow. uh, San Francisco, you've got a median income there, probably in that 140 to $160,000 range. Uh -huh compared to us here, where it's about 90000 that certainly helps. Yes. But it does mean an awful lot more people rent than own. Yes, of I mean, course. Median sales price in the Bay Area last quarter was about $1.2 million. Wow. And it was five, it's half of that in the Puget Sound. Yeah. And it's a, kind, of, kind of exciting when you look at that because we, you know, being Port Rim City, we follow our other Port Rim cities and always just a step behind. So you can see we are definitely a step behind. So, Matthew, um, how do we compare the other markets in the U.S.? Well, we're kind of middle of the road. Um, so I think over time what you're going to find is that people are going to start migrating. They're going to move from the middle part of America uh -huh. to both coasts and the southwest. As we get older, we're going to move into the warmer climes. Both coasts are going to do remarkably well. So we're seeing upward pressure on pricing here. We are in Oregon. Obviously, we've already seen it in California. Yep. On the other side, you're certainly seeing it uh, in New York. Again, one of the least affordable housing markets. Mm -hmm. Yet Washington, D.C., not so much. Yes. Blame the government or not. But, um, uh, <laughs> Another but, conversation. Yeah, exactly. If <laughs> um, you go, go further down in, into Florida, to a degree still affordable, but that's certainly changing. So I think over time, what you're going to need to look at is where are the markets that are growing economically? That's the most important thing. Okay. So if we're creating jobs, you create demand for housing. Yes. If you're not creating jobs, you're not. Yes. So in markets like ours, I think we're remarkably lucky today uh, we've really diversified away from, let's say, relying where Boeing went, which is yes. very much what we did in the 70s mm -hmm. and the 80s. Mm -hmm. We diversified, but we diversified into dot-coms. Again, not the smartest move known to man. Um, and that meant that our 2000 recession was actually remarkably hard. Mm -hmm. But we, as we diversify, we actually broaden that employment base. That's going to be good. 
However, and there's always going to be another but because I'm an economist, uh, and the but is right now Amazon.com. Uh, Amazon's employment is just frenetic. Yeah. So you look at the urban markets, they're employing several thousand people a month, it feels like. Uh, that's also driving that market. Now, will mm-hmm. they continue? Well, we, we all probably have Amazon Prime memberships. Yes. But, uh, but I think that I'm a little bit concerned by that. Okay. All right. So, um, Matthew, what about, um, you know, why home prices here rise at a faster rate than many of the other markets around the country? And we talked about employment. Um, are there any Are there any other reasons that um, for that? Yeah. Um, as I mentioned earlier on, we've really kind of got these constraints, these land constraints. Mm-hmm. And let's say if you look at the Puget Sound, it said a lot of water, a lot of mountains. So our land supply is already finite, unlike, let's say, uh, Houston whereby you basically kind of keep on building as far as yes. the eye can see. You can't do that here. Uh, secondarily, and again, it's the point which I mentioned, uh, which is uh, growth management, uh, urban growth boundaries. We've defined where you can and where you cannot build. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, to a degree makes sense. I mean, we don't want to see a lot of sprawl um, similar to, let's say, Phoenix, when basically you kind of land in Phoenix Airport, for example, and you rooftops and swing pools as far as the eye can see. Yeah. We don't want that. We don't like it. However, at some point in time, we need to start considering these boundaries and whether they are still appropriate or not. Uh, if they are, then perhaps we need to consider some adjustments in zoning. And yep. certainly we're finding that in Seattle right now with the Harla group that the mayor's uh, created. So I think that we need, we're at that point, we're at that inflection point. Where if we want to make sure there's housing for everybody, yes. not necessarily ownership, but it's housing in general that's not remarkably overpriced. Because what happens when you see prices go up to a degree, that means people have to live further and further out. Yeah. And all of a sudden they have these wonderful two and three hour commutes. Yep. Uh, which, which is certainly not great. And when we get to the um, uh, 2030, then we'll have some nice uh, sound transit stuff going on. But that's a ways away before we're going to hit that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think, I mean, ultimately, if you want to figure out housing affordability and, and house prices, fully fund mass transit. If yes. you do that, it yeah, fixes I totally a, agree. a lot of issues. Totally agree. But I also don't want to wait until 2040 for that to no. happen. No. Yeah. Okay. I was 10 years off to 2040. <laughs> um, what about the millennials? When are they going to start buying? Ah, the, the, the millennial question is one that comes up an awful lot. Mm-hmm. For a long time, people were saying, you know, millennials are never going to buy. They're going to be perma-renters. Uh, I totally disagree with that then, and I totally disagree with it now. Okay. What they are doing is they are delaying buying, delaying home ownership. And why are they doing that? For the better part, they're getting married later in life. They're also having children later in life. Uh-huh. If you think about it, right now, they're renting these wonderful little downtown apartments, yep. living the dream. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they start having children, are they going to raise their kids in that environment? No, they're not. They are going to move out and they are going to buy. A survey that's done recently said that 75% of millennials said that buying a home was one of their ultimate goals. But 78% said they think they'd have a hard time qualifying. It, that, yeah. I think, is, is what's holding them back. Whereas a, a good portion of a majority do would not have an issue. It's just a perception. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So they do want to buy, and, yeah. they, and they will. They're yeah. just putting it off by a few years. But there are a lot of hindrances. And those hindrances certainly is qualifying. Uh-huh. Where the, the, uh, the needle has moved from the, the sublime in 2006, where essentially have a heartbeat, get a mortgage, um, through to where we are right now, whereby FICO scores close to 820 percent mm-hmm. down. Uh, the down payment's a problem for them. Do they pay high rents? They can't save. Yeah. They've also got an awful lot of student debt, mm-hmm. a remarkably large amount of student debt. They have to continue to service. So all those things together, plus the fact the, uh, the proverbial bank of mum and dad uh, is not picking up the phone very often anymore to yeah. help out with down payments. Yeah. So will they buy? Yes, they will. They are just delaying it by a couple of years, but do believe me, they do want to buy. 
The one issue, however, today is lack of supply and lack of inventory. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's where the real issue is. And and if you are, you know, thinking about purchasing and thinking that you can't do it, really, you know, talk with a mortgage professional and find out because there are so many options that people are not aware of uh, that are available. So uh, interest rates. I mean, I know, Matthew, you've got to get this question as a zillion times just in one working day. Um, what is ha- what's going to happen with them? Uh, Are you, you worried about interest rates going up? No. I mean, our, okay, two, two phrase question. Um, are interest rates going to go up? Yes, of course. they are. I've been saying when? that. I've been saying that for two years, <laughs> yes. and for two years I've been wrong. Yes, um, me too, Matthew. Yeah. Mine's been longer so, than two years. <laughs> right. So, so they are. And I think we'll probably, we'll get into the 4% range yep. um, for shortly, five, probably after later on this year, maybe into early next year. We'll be probably 4.4% by the end of mm-hmm. 2017. We'll hit 5% in 2018. So they are going to go up, mm-hmm. but the increase is really going to be very, very marginal. Yeah. So yes, we will see an increase. However, if you look at where the, the yield on the 10-year Treasury was today, yep. it's dropping down. Mm-hmm. That actually means I think we'll actually see some downward pressure on mortgage rates before we see some upward pressure. So yeah. ultimately, we're likely to retest our historic lows. Yeah, it's just it's it's crazy that this now is definitely considered the norm. I mean, where these these rates are at, it is our new normal, and, and the new normal has got to go away. At some point and that's the scary time. part, specifically when it comes to yes. millennials, because millennials uh, have never seen interest exactly. rates at ten or twenty yes. percent that we all remember. Yes. So you say to them, "You've got to pay five percent." They think mm. it's egregious. Yeah. Uh, it is. Why am I paying that much money? Yes. So it's clearly not the case. But they are going to go up, but the increase will be very modest. Uh, it will actually help to taper price growth, which I yep, think is ultimately true. going to be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the move up is going to be slow and steady. Yeah. It's certainly not going to be rapid in, in any way, shape or form. Yes. Uh, to wrap up my time here with you, uh, Matthew, I want to ask, the economy can't keep growing forever. So is a recession on the horizon? And if there is, how will it affect the housing market? Uh, the, the great R word. Mm-hmm. Um, recessions, I mean, uh, if you mentioned it now, term recession, everyone just gets paralyzed with fear yeah. because they think back to what happened 2007, 2008. Uh-huh. Recessions happen. Yes. Oh, I want to get t-shirts printed that say that. Um, <laughs> because and, and they do. So um, are we going to see another one? Yes, I, I believe we are. Um, my forecast right now is probably late 2018, early 2019, we'll see a business cycle recession. Mm-hmm. It's okay. We've had 47 recessions. Uh, since 1776. So uh, they they do happen. It'll be fairly mild, fairly modest. It'll be a bit longer than average. It might Mm -hmm. last about a year, Um, but it wouldn't be nothing like the recession that we saw. Now, its effect on real estate, I can go back to recessions since the 60s. What we've really seen in all of them, other than the Great Recession, Uh was that price growth slowed. Didn't turn negative, it slowed. And that's what I would expect to see going forward. So, But it will be a, a very classic the recession as we would expect to see them. Um, and they do happen about every eight years, historically speaking. Uh, we will see it. Uh, is it anything to be worried about when it comes to real estate? No, but it will not be a real estate-driven recession. Got it. Yeah. Matthew, thank you so much. It's never a the quantity of time I have to spend with you, but it definitely is the quality of time. So I appreciate so much, again, your wealth of information, joining me in studio and look forward to having you back here soon as you can fit it in your calendar. Thanks, Tina. Great Thanks, talking Matthew. to you again. Coming up next to the Money Hour, we are going to talk about personal development, uncovering your purpose, a little bit of goals, visions, dreams, intentions, resolutions, objections, and aspirations with Deborah Trapin, owner of D11 Consulting, right here on 1150 AM, KKNW after this short break.
Are you a woman in business or a brand that wants to help them figure out how to take their business to the next level? Do you have questions about how to effectively and safely use social media to build your brand and business? Are you ready to live your purpose out loud every single day, but not sure how to make it happen? Are you looking to start a thriving business, uncover new ideal clients, or find your dream job? Have you been trying to put your brand story together, but keep getting stuck? Deborah Trapin of D11 Consultants is a well-respected expert who speaks, writes, and consults on the topics of personal brand, digital marketing strategies, and living a fired-up life. Deborah Trapin of D11 Consulting helps entrepreneurs build businesses and lives they love by attracting ideal clients with a solid brand message and simple digital marketing strategies. Deborah Trapin of D11 Consulting is passionate about inspiring entrepreneurs to define their personal brand to build a business and life they love. Deborah Trapin of D11 Consulting is excited to help you get fired up and on your way to building a successful business and life. This is Deborah Trapin of D11 Consulting. To learn more about my firm, connect with me on social media, or sign up for a free consultation, please visit my website, d11consulting.com. Be sure to sign up to fire up on my email list and you will receive a free core values exercise to get you started defining your personal brand and building a life you love. If you prefer email, send me a note at deborah at d11consulting.com. Again, to learn more about my services, connect with me on social or sign up to fire up, visit d11consulting.com. I look forward to connecting with you soon. You're listening to The Money Hour with your host, Tina Mitchell. Sponsored by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Pinnacle Capital Mortgage Corporation. Now, in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert, Tina Mitchell. Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here on 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, June 18th show. I'm here to help you build a strong financial blueprint one week and one show at a time. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast to talk with the guests that I have in studio. If you want to chat a little bit with your host, you can call the show at 1-855-411-50. Again, that's one 855 or online at themoneyr.com. Right now, next to me in studio is Deborah Trapin, owner of D11 Consulting. Deborah, thank you so much for uh, joining me once again in studio. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And we're going to be talking about uh, goals, visions, dreams, intentions, resolutions, objectives, and aspirations. I mean, I could have a conversation with you for a few shows just back to back, Deborah, (laughs) Deborah, with all of the uh, passion, excitement, and fire up that you have to offer. But today's really about personal development, uncovering your purpose. And a little bit about uh, Deborah. Deborah Trapin is the head of SAS and Moxie at D11. She founded the firm uh, to help growth-minded leaders shine online by firing up their personal brands, business cultures, and their attitudes. In a nutshell, she lives to fire people up and into their purposeful greatness. A sought-after motivational speaker, trainer, and author, Deborah has been spotlighted on platforms, podcasts, and publics, publications across the globe. When she's not an audience from the stage, idea storming her next adventure or writing a recording in studio, you will find her walking her pups, geeking out on her new technology, or wine tasting across the globe with her husband and her woman of the wine uh, TV business partner. Her first, first book, Fire Up, 
you got to get Taking Your Life and Business to 11 is available on Amazon, and she's preparing to launch a couple of new products later this year. And I'm really excited about the new products, but we definitely, uh, that's another show as well to go into uh, detail of what that is once those are launched. So, Deborah, um, you and I have shared many conversations about personal development and co, uh, co-hosted workshops to share your Fire Up mission, and the Core 4 segment is also so powerful. So I thought it would be great to dig a little bit a bit in more about another of those elements. Um, on a past show, we talked about defining your niche. So what would you like to explore with the audience today, Deborah? So let's start kind of back up the core four, right? Okay, yes. So like you said, we've talked about uh, defining your niche, but I, I truly believe that we have these core four elements of who we are, what, what our core values are what we're passionate about or what I like to call our soul tank fuel, Mm -hmm. uh, our purpose Mm -hmm. and that niche piece. And so I thought we'd dig a little bit deeper into the purpose conversation specifically because it seems that there's a stirring out in particular with independent sales professionals who are trying to find their mark in the sea of social media Mm -hmm. and all of these digital platforms that are expressing who they are and really getting lost in that. Yes. And I think a big piece of that is they haven't defined what their purpose is. Every single day, people say to me things like, I have a kind of an idea of what you mean by that. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, yeah, Deb, no idea. Like, I, I have no, I'm, I'm not the Dalai Lama or Oprah. I have no purpose. Uh-huh. Uh, and even worse, sometimes be, people get it confused with what motivates them uh, or their values. So I think it's just a really fun conversation to dig into. I totally agree. So let's start out with, uh, you know, finding your purpose. What does that really mean? Yeah, your purpose it, for definitions uh, in this particular process that we're talking about is what I love to call your tribal talent. If you Mm. go back to when we lived in tribes, people had purpose. They had something they brought to the table, whether it was the person who clothed a tribe, was the evangelist, the leader, the teacher. Mm-hmm. We, we had elements that we brought. Um, that doesn't mean the teacher was the only person who could teach or the evangelist was the only person who could evangelize or inspire. It meant that was their, they were the leader in that particular purpose. And I think what that allows you to start seeing is you, we all have a village, a squad, a team, yes. whatever we want to call it. Mm -hmm. And there is something that they're coming to us for. And so it's really important to recognize you do have a purpose. Uh, Second, it usually comes so naturally, you don't even recognize it's your purpose, Mm -hmm. which is one of the favorite parts of what I do as a coach when it comes to uncovering this is that people just are walking down the street and living it out loud, but they have no idea. So discovering it is, of course, fun. And then this is the big one. Your purpose is not unique. Like, I think most people get stuck on the fact, well, other people do it, so it can't be my purpose. Uh-huh. It's, that's not uh, what makes it unique. You make it unique by how you do it and where you do it and who you're doing it with, which 
that's what makes your purpose unique. Yeah, so I'm glad you gave a definition because for me, you know, about uniqueness and shining as your unique individual and, and to hear that your purpose and, and is not unique. Um, <laughs> so it's it really, it is unique and special to you because you make it your own. And, um, you know, that's awesome. Everything that we really do, our practices, um, uh, the core uh, of um, components of what you need to be successfully personal and professionally, they are what they are, but it's you that make it your own and make it unique. So uh, thank you for that, Deborah. So can you explain how people um, confuse their purpose, their why, and their values? You bet. So I work a lot with the unspoken generation we call Gen X. Uh-huh. We talk a lot about boomers. We talk a lot about millennials, but we don't talk a lot about Gen X. And Gen X is, they're the movers and the shakers, man. Mm-hmm. They're the spenders. They're the ones who are in the core of of their shining time. And I work a lot with Gen X females, specifically because they're coming to me, uh, they're either raising small children, because they started a little bit later because their career was first, uh-huh. or they are raising tweens, and so they have all this crazy, some are even empty na- nesters. And so when we start the purpose conversation, most of them freak out a little bit, they cringe, because they feel shameful that at this age, I don't know what my purpose is. Uh-huh. And unfortunately, what happens is most of them go to their children being their purpose or another individual being their yes. purpose. And that's always the point where I'm like, stop, stop in the name of love. Mm-hmm. That is not your purpose. Your purpose is never attached to another human yes. being, right? Mm-hmm. However, it, you have to start by saying, okay, shame off me. Now what do I do, right? Um, you have to recognize that if your purpose was attached to someone else, then before they existed and after they're gone, yes. that means you have nothing. Yes. And and I think that's honestly why there's a lot of women who are in the boomer generation who are depressed mm-hmm. because they thought their purpose was their children and now they're empty nested yes. and moved away because they can't, as Matthew was talking about, they can't afford to live where their parents lived in mm-hmm. California. So mm-hmm. they fly away to somewhere more affordable. And so I think the uh, the great part about recognizing that it's not connected to another pers- person is that it allows you to start opening your mind to what that purpose is yes. so that you can start to um, so you can start to see it. And I always tell people well, if you, if you you think your purpose is your children, take it a step further and ask yourself what do you want to see in this world for your children? And that's where you can spin that and go it's not about your it's not about your kids, it's about what you want to see for them in the world and that's where you can really um, uh, discover that purpose, as uh, you said, Deborah, and that you help your clients with. So can you share some examples of a simple purpose statement for some of your past clients? Sure. This this usually helps trigger the process for a lot of people. Um, Some are, I'm the peacemaker. I entertain people. I listen to and comfort people. Mm-hmm. I connect people. I inspire people. I teach people. I solve problems. I feed people. Mm-hmm. All the nurturers like out one. there. Yeah, mm-hmm. we all love to be fed. And so the people who love to cook and nurture through food, like that is your purpose. Own it. Not mine. I'm, I'm the inspirer. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> uh, but we all love to eat, right? Yeah. Um, the encourager. I speak truth. You know, mm-hmm. it's there's something about you that's naturally coming out. And you can see, as I read through that list, why people get it connected confused yeah. with parenting or with another person because you're using a lot of those talents mm-hmm. even if it's not your specific person uh, purpose, you're using a lot of those things in that inner interpersonal relationship. Yeah. And, and I know you've, you have a list of exercises and questions and things that you put your, your clients through when you do your live workshops. Um, where can, where can people go, Deborah, to get some of these um, exercises that you give? 
You bet. Um, Before you go into the actual exercises, one of the fun things that I always tell clients is start listening. Okay. Listen. Uh Listen to what other people are saying. Yes. Tina, you always Mm -hmm. inspire me. Mm -hmm. And your purpose may be to inspire. Yes. But how you're doing it looks differently. Sometimes it might be writing a book. Uh It could be talking with a client. It could be hosting a workshop or a webinar. Mm -hmm. How we we actually infuse our purpose into what we're doing is likely what people are already telling us. Yes. So slow down and just listen a little bit. Uh, And then you can, of course, go to my website. (laughs) Uh-huh. DebraTrapen.com, D-E-B-R-A-T-R-A-P-P-E-N.com, and just search the word purpose. Okay. Just search it up at the top. I give some really fun questions that you can go through in a variety of blog posts and styles. Yes. Uh, definitely you want to sign up for the, the fire up list because that's... Finding your purpose is something I'm super, super passionate about helping Mm -hmm. people find. And so I do a lot on that. Um, I have these fun little things I call moxie memos that I post throughout the month. And a lot of them get focused right in on what are you doing right now yeah. that you can connect to your purpose? Because, woof. And when seeing those, just the, you know, just the um, the words that you use and the images just can't help but get somebody in a space to draw out that. Now, I want to go back because you said, um, you know, listen and listening as as well as asking, you know, if you ask the people that are uh, close to you, your co-workers and people you're around, if you were to explain me, what word would you use? And it yeah. kind of really helps to bring that to uh, the surface for you. So, uh, Deborah, do you have tips to help uncover um, our purpose and start to see it showing up in our lives? Yeah, I think that the easiest way um, after listening is to uh, start actually focusing on yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's hard to do, but important. it really is hard for mm-hmm. people to look at themselves in yeah. the mirror mm-hmm. and ask themselves what what makes what makes me happy. What what actual conversations do I have in my day that set my soul on fire? Because your purpose is likely in there. Uh, If you're the problem solver, you might be that person who always loves those shows where it's related to problem solving. Um, It's going to show up in a lot of different ways. So what you watch on TV, what books you read, Mm -hmm. uh, even the people that inspire you around you that are triggering those conversations and sparking those conversations that get Mm -hmm. you riled up. Uh, Another one is, you know, again, we talked about this earlier, when it comes so naturally to you, you don't see it. So once you see it, start celebrating it. So when you are the, when you inspire people and that's, you understand that that is your purpose, you can start to see the days where you're working it. When you are really mm-hmm. out there living yeah. that purpose out loud, when you've had a class, when you've had a great discussion about a topic that's inspiring someone else, mm-hmm. you actually, at the end of the day, you feel more energized yep. than you did when you walked out the door in the morning. Yes. So what that starts to tell you is, okay, that was a trigger for me mm-hmm. that allowed me to plug my purpose in. I need more of that. Yes. And there are days where you don't get out of the house. Or days where you can't get out of the office. And that's where I love to say, go to social media. Yep. If you love to get people fired up, if mm-hmm. you love to inspire them, people are telling you every day 
every single emotion they are experiencing yes, there. Yep. And so just go on Facebook and look at your loved ones. Look at your champions list and yep. say, who needs me? Yeah. And then pick up the phone or even just leave a little note. Mm-hmm. Shoot them a direct message. Live, living your purpose doesn't have to be something you're doing face to face. It really is something that you can infuse and work into your everyday life yes. in lots of different ways. So don't get stuck on having to be the Oprah or the Tony Robbins. Yeah. Be yourself in your own tribe. They see you that way. Makes total sense. I've got less than a minute, Deborah, and I want you to leave my listeners with a call to action or just one homework assignment that they can uh, do. You bet. So if you if you head over to the website, um, again, DebraTrapin.com, and you search the word purpose, you are going to see six questions. You're going to okay. see six questions. Actually, the name of the blog post is the same as the segment, which is Uncover Your Purpose. So when you go to the site and you write down those questions, go through the process. The last one is uh, uncovering or, or defining your core values, uh-huh. which I'm sure we'll talk about on a future episode. I know we will. Uh, that's where you really are going to dig in and you're going to take this next level. So start with those first five. And okay. then when you're ready, jump into the number six. Wonderful. Deborah. thank you so much. Okay. It's it's great to have the uh, professional side, the personal side, bring them together because we need to have both. And so I just appreciate, appreciate you and everything that you do for my listeners. You bet. My pleasure. Coming up next to the money, our real estate market and today's buyers and sellers with Kathy Morrow with Remax Performance Plus right here at 1150 AM KKNW. When I was little, I didn't talk for a long time. I liked things to always be the same. Anything new or different would scare and upset me. I was very sensitive to lights and sounds. It was almost like I had bigger eyes and ears than everyone else. So I built secret hiding places where nothing could get in. I didn't like looking people in the eye. It made me feel uncomfortable. I'd throw big tantrums over little things like when my socks didn't match. Sometimes I'd do the same things over and over. Until one day I found out I had autism. My family got me help. Slowly, I learned how to live with it better. You can see signs of autism in children as young as 18 months. Early intervention can make a lifetime of difference. Learn the signs at autismspeaks.org signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Kathy Morrow of Remax Performance Plus has been successfully selling residential real estate in Washington since 1997. She has the passion and experience in real estate to bring a successful outcome to your particular real estate quest, whether you're buying or selling for the first time or an experienced real estate investor. Hi, this is Kathy Morrow with Remax Performance Plus, 206-295-9503. Again, Kathy Morrow with Remax Performance Plus, 206 206- Two nine five nine five zero three. You're listening to the Money Hour with your host Tina Mitchell, sponsored by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Pinnacle Capital Mortgage Corporation. Now in the studio, local mortgage and finance expert Tina Mitchell. 
Welcome back to The Money Hour with your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, right here at 1150 AM KKNW, the Saturday, June 18th show. I bring into studio each week the best of the best experts in our local market on everything regarding money. I'm here to help you in today's economy. If you're hearing my show at a different time or day, you are listening to a rebroadcast. You can call the show at one 855 411.50, or you can go online to themoneyhour.com, uh, discuss anything, questions that you have regarding uh, money, economy. Again, it's all about having a better quality of life for you and your family. Right now in studio, I have Kathy Morrow with Remax Performance Plus Real Estate, and we're going to be having a conversation about the real estate market, um, uh, local in the area that you specialize in. Kathy, thank you so much for coming back in studio. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. And a little bit about Kathy. Kathy's been selling real estate since 1997. She specializes in residential sales in the South King County and North Pierce County and is part of the Remax Hall of Fame. Kathy has been awarded from Seattle Magazine Five Star Professionals and is a CRS Certified Resident Specialist, APR Accredited Buyers Representative, and SRES Senior Real Estate Specialist. So, uh, Kathy, just starting out my time with you uh, to share with my listeners, what are the sellers market house uh, the um, uh, sellers market houses and condos uh, still selling so fast? And what are you seeing in the market as you're working with the buyers uh, and sellers right now? It is still a hot market. It is not quite as hot as it was, but it's acting like a normal year. I work mostly the South King County and North Pierce County areas, Mm -hmm. and it is not the same as the Seattle market. Seattle market, they've been selling more houses per month in their listing, Mm -hmm. and the southern part of the Puget Sound area were not quite that fast. Um, And they hear that everything is selling in a minute. Yeah, it's taken three or four or five days versus one. Really, but it's 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 such a different market when it used to be thirty days was fast. And now if your house isn't ready in the first three days on the market, mm-hmm. you've missed it. Yes. So are you see, are you seeing a lot of uh, multiple offers in, in your area that you um, uh, sell a lot in? Yes, particularly okay. if I represent the buyers, which I do, yes. half buyers and half sellers. Uh-huh. It is very common. And the only time it's not common is if the house isn't ready. If the seller has not done their prep, so the minute it hits the market, uh-huh. it's ready to sell, they l- open their doors or make their doors available for the buyers to come in, they're still seeing that fast market. But they restrict the hours, restrict other conditions. It's not quite such the heart market. Got it. Kathy, what about the uh, summer market change? Well, we have a normal year. Mm -hmm. We started out rainy, Uh which means we begin to build our market with um, into the spring. It peaks. We seem to have peaked. We've seen outrageously priced homes compared Uh to what they were in the recent past. And Mm -hmm. some of that is just one particular house in a particular neighborhood. But we in the Northwest, we like our summers. We've Mm -hmm. had our rainy, depressing weather. And now, you know, there's a few days here and there without the sun, but it's summer. So we take time to enjoy the weather. And although the market may slow, it's been such a heated market. Maybe we won't have five, six, ten, twenty, a hundred offers on a particular house. Yeah. Maybe we'll have one, two, or three. You only need one qualified buyer to make that work. But it, the buyers and the sellers are not going away. But come mm-hmm. September, we're going to tick back up, and it's going to be off and running again. Uh huh. Which is normal. 
Yeah, and you know, I, I, I really wish that we could get to a normal market because this craziness is just, it's craziness. And um, it's its challenging for everyone involved. It's challenging for uh, the realtors. It's challenging for the buyers. Okay, maybe not challenging for the sellers, except they just have to figure out which one of these, all these offers they want to take. Um, but so how would you describe a normal year? Well, normal, normal year, normal market. We have a new normal. Mm-hmm. Um, the normal year, like I said before, it starts out a little slower in mm-hmm. January. Our prices begin to build. March, it starts going crazy and goes steady and through uh, May and probably June. And then we're kind of steady on prices. Uh-huh. And then in the fall, we, we kind of continue. May take a slight dip after the election this year, probably. Mm-hmm. And then back again in January, get our price increase. Um, I think we're talking about the market and how fast it can go. Again, yes. it depends on that seller trap. If the seller has done their job of getting it ready, then we're, then it will sell. But then we've got the buyer that needs to do their job too. Yes. And in the recent history, I found some of the buyers have gone on to these great online pre-approval process, mm-hmm. only to discover they're not approved for anything. Yeah. And they need to go back to the additional mortgage rep, such as Tina, mm-hmm. who can actually get them pre-approved all the way through underwriting yes. so that when they need to make an offer on a house they've seen two hours ago, mm-hmm. and if they don't make the offer, they will lose the property. They need to be all the way through underwriting because sometimes they're not even putting financing contingencies into offers. Mm-hmm. They're not doing appraisals. They're not doing anything that will protect their financial interest. And if they have put all this out, including non-refundable earnest money, yeah. Most of my clients can't afford to throw that money away. Yeah, so I mean, this is really important to listen to what uh, Kathy's saying. If you're a buyer, you really got to, you've got to be prepared. You've got to be prepared on what you're willing and not willing to do as well and understand what the risks are when you start uh, waiving some of these contingencies. And uh, the approval process, yes, having a solid approval from, uh, pre-approval from underwriting is a must, but also it's a must to understand what that pre-approval really means. The pre-approval is based and subject on the information provided at loan application, which means if you have any changes to your financial situation, it's going to be adjusted. And so understand how that really works is a key part of it as well. So thank you so much for bringing that up, Kathy. Um, so record sales in May. In May you know, yes. Can you talk about that? So the records that I looked at since year 2000, mm-hmm. we had the highest amount, higher than 2007, six. All those years was happened in May, at least in the King County, Puget Sound area. Okay. Substantially more, well, yeah. three, maybe three or 400 than the highest ever. That says something about our supply and demand. Yes. There is no supply. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as scary it is for those buyers trying to buy a house and everything else, it's scary mm-hmm. for those sellers. Yes. What if they don't have a place to go? Yeah. Their house sells that first day on the market, and they have to plan to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And it's not a question of if it will sell. It's what price it's going to sell for. Yes. So it, it is... All good, mm-hmm. but yet all scary. So we know we're not short on buyers. We've got plenty of those. We know we're not short on money. I mean, interest rates are historical low, new norm, but historical low, getting ready to hit another one, as, as Matthew said. Um, banks are lending. Uh, they're not lending in a, a risky way, but they're lending. Uh, what we're short is we're short the sellers. We're short the properties. And so there's always going to be that that balance um, and missing something. So it's taking advantage of the areas that you can. So what does a seller need to do right before? they're putting their home on the market, Kathy. How are you advising your sellers? Well, pricing it right. That's one thing that matters in any market. Mm -hmm. You price a home in the Northwest, we're polite society. 
we believe that you want the price for your home. So if it's priced too high, we're not going to sell it. If it's priced too low, if you don't get lucky and get that multiple offer, you might leave money on the table yeah. and have a reason to, to sell. But I really tell them to get ready to, um, landscaping's got to be perfect. The staging's got to be perfect. Mm-hmm. The smell, it has to smell awesome. And they have to leave and make it available and be prepared for that shock of how many offers might be in front of their face or not. Mm-hmm. Um and figure out where they're going to move. Yeah. Because they are moving. Yes. You know, a few years ago, they may not have had that option of, of uh, so having to move someplace, but now it's going to happen. So just like the buyers, the sellers need to be prepared. They need to be strategic on what they're doing, regardless of the fact that they're, you know, they can get buyers out there. There's plenty of them, but uh, it's about maximizing your profit. So pre-inspections, how do you feel about them? How do you, how are you coaching on the buyer side and the seller side about pre-inspections? Well, the pre-inspections is a two-edged sword. Mm-hmm. The poor buyers, if they really want a property and they want to get a pre-inspection, there could they could have to do several. Yes. And if they truly do not have the potential of actually owning the house, they could easily spend, you know, four thousand mm-hmm. dollars on these mm-hmm. pre-inspections without having it to happen. I don't always recommend them, even though in Seattle they say, Oh, you know, wave this, wave that. I've been in this business a while. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have these same buyers and the same sellers a few years from now. And they're going to come back and say they've got a sound property yes. at a good investment and not hear about one I have listed now. They didn't even know they had LP siding. They need to know what they're buying Definitely. to protect their investment. And the sellers, I was at an inspection, well, excuse me, not inspection. I watched another, somebody getting a pre-inspection done for them. I was showing another buyer. This inspector was out at the house. He was pulling apart the attic vent uh-huh. and showing them inside because it was an older house. And so it would have that kind of vent. But he didn't put it back. He wow. said, oh, the seller's going to put that back. How many of those inspectors yeah. are going to come out and damage the property? Yes. So great as pre-inspection may sound, you may have a sound buyer. It may not be a sound choice for your house. Yes, a good, a good point. And I want to get back on what you said with the buyers and the cost of it. I think, you know, you again, making a decision on what you're willing to do, how much money you're willing to go. But if you're you're willing to spend some, just, you know, look at that. If you're if you are doing pre-inspections, look at that as part of the cost of doing a loan. And if you're if you're there's going to be costs that you're going to lose. But if you keep at it, a home will come together. So budget whatever that's going to be. And that's just an additional closing cost. You look at what happens if you keep missing out on properties, what it's going to ultimately end up costing you that 4,000 won't look so bad, right? Oh, it may not look so bad. <laughs> may not look so bad. So we've got a, we got a minute here and I got to wrap up, but just one advice. You've talked about buyers and how they need to prepare with a pre-approval. Another tip for them as I wrap up my time with you, Kathy. Well, just be available. I mm-hmm. mean, the properties are coming on the market yeah. and you've got to be available to see it. You can't wait. Oh, I want to see that property in two or three days. You've got to see it now. You may not have the opportunity to um, think about it And yet, many sellers are asking you to wait to put your offer in. And Uh some buyers don't want to be the guinea pig and put their offer in and have it be what they used to beat. But sometimes sellers don't wait for that deadline. They see an offer that looks good enough, Mm -hmm. and they'll take it. So my advice is to make their offer what they're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. I mean, they may be able to go back and do an escalation clause or come back and improve their offer. But to put their best foot forward now and maybe the seller will decide to take their offer 
and not wait another three or four days. Yeah. So uh, for all you buyers out there and sellers, well, I mean, Kathy works with both of them, but um, I want to end this with uh, with the buyers is really having uh, an expert that can um, uh, walk you through the process because every offer is different. You know, we obviously know every market's different, but even in this market right now, every offer you're going to make is going to be different depending on what the seller's needs are, what market or what area that you're purchasing in, what you're willing to do and not willing to do as far as these contingents Kath, uh, Kathy was talking about. So uh, really meeting with an expert uh, is so important. Kathy, how do my listeners get a hold of you? Oh, I, you can find me online, kathymorrow.com, or of course, cell phone 206-295-9503. And I do try and answer and get back to every client as soon as they call. I do have ever life. So if I miss you, I will get back to you. It's all, all good. You can always go to the Money Hour as well and uh, catch Kathy there online. Uh, catch her segment if for any reason you uh, missed it. And Kathy, thank you so much for coming back and joining me, joining me in studio. Thank you. This is your host and mortgage expert, Tina Mitchell, signing off for the day, uh, saying goodbye. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. I will be here same time, same place next Saturday, right here on 1150 AM at KKNW. The preceding program is paid for by Absolute Mortgage, a division of Finance of America Mortgage, LLC, Equal Housing Lender, NMLS 1071, AZBK 0910184. Tina Mitchell, MLO 145420, is a licensed loan originator with Absolute Mortgage. Visit absoluteloans.com or call 888-90-HOMES for cost information.